Welcome back to NC Realtors Redefine, the NC Realtors podcast, sponsored by Century 21. On this episode, Local Government Affairs Director for Winston-Salem, Troy Bachman, joins Director of Local Government Affairs, Nicole Arnold, to talk about the book, Strengths-Based Leadership, by Tom Rath and Barry Conchie. And from our Mobile Monday series on Facebook, Vice President of Risk Management and Education at Investors Title Insurance Company, Jonathan Biggs, talks about how to prevent wire fraud from happening to you and your clients. But first, NC Realtors News. Every January, NC Realtors kicks off the year with vision quests and leadership meetings. This coming year, we will gather at the Omni Hotel in Charlotte on January 13th through 17th. Registration is now open. Visit ncrealtors.org to register. Welcome to Redefined, our NC Realtors podcast. In this segment, we discuss books that have influenced our professional lives. I'm your host, Nicole Arnold, and I'm the Director of Local Government Affairs at NC Realtors. And today, I am interviewing Troy Bachman. Troy, I want you to tell us what your title is and what you do at NC Realtors and who you work with. And then we're going to talk about this book today, which is called Strengths-Based Leadership. Hi, I'm Troy Bachman. I am a local government affairs director with the Winston-Salem Association of Realtors. I am also shared with the Winston-Salem Home Builders Association. Um, So I manage the government affairs for both of those associations. Um, I've been with NC Realtors for almost two years now. Excellent. You chose the book, Strength-Based Leaderships, Great Leaders, Teams, and Why People Follow. And this is by Tom Rath and Barry Conchi. So Troy, why did you pick this book? So as for as long as I can remember, I have been really interested in personality assessments and what those can tell me about um, my role in professional settings as well as personal settings. So I'd recently taken the Clifton Strengths Assessment, and I'll talk a little bit about that momentarily, um, but I kind of wanted to learn more about the Clifton Strengths platform. Okay, so you took the test, which is called the Strengths Assessment, the Cl- named after Don Clifton, who created the test, right? And he, he's sort of the brainchild of all this stuff. And then the Gallup organization came in and, and uh, now owns the rights, I guess. So you get the book, and it's $24.99 at Barnes & Noble. And how do you get the test? So the test actually comes as part of the book. You can buy the test separately if you would like to, but I bought it with the book. Okay, so if you buy the book, unlike me, if you get the book at the library, it doesn't have the test in it, right? You have to take the test separately. So, all right, if you get the book, you have the test, and then you learn about your strengths. Yes. What's an example of a strength? What do they look like in the book? So the concept of the strengths assessment is that there are 34 different strengths that everyone that a variety of folks have. And you can have anything from analytical, which is like searching for a person that searches for reasons and causes for things. Um, Some of them are things like woo, which means you are good at being people's cheerleader and you love networking and winning people over. 
So they fall into a variety of categories. Some are relational, like building a relationship from people to people, and some are strategic, like um, intellection is one that I have, which means I kind of just like to sit around and think. But it's important to note that in the Strengths Finder platform, there are no strengths that are better than others. Everything is considered equal. Okay, but they're different from each other. Yes. Right. So you, you end up looking really at your top five strengths, and that's what they think make you unique and define you to a certain point. Is that, is that right? Yeah, so you get, when you take the assessment, you, they give you like your, they rank everything. So then you get your top five, which is the, the strongest present. It's like um, if you're familiar with the Myers-Briggs platform, you can be ranked extroverted or introverted, and one is going to have a higher percentage. It's kind of the same idea with your strengths. Very good. All right, so why is strengths-based leadership all the rage right now in corporate America? Why are organizations, and for us, our, our professionals are in real estate brokerages, why is this important for them to know? So the thesis of this platform and the book is that if you know your strengths and you know the strengths of your team, you can be more effective, more engaged, and more efficient. That's interesting because you and I were told, I think, especially when we were in our formative professional years or maybe before college years, that we needed to be well-rounded and you need to be good at everything. Is that, is that a good idea? Not according to StrengthsFinder. So the con- one of the main points of the book that I really that resounded with me is that good leaders are not generalists. They are not people that are good at every single thing they do. If you try to be good at every single thing that you do, you will be mediocre at best. So the authors think that you should not spend time necessarily on working on your weaknesses. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think they, rather than focus on the things that hold us back and um, keep us from being our best selves, they want us to identify those things that make us special, make us unique, and really lean into them. So let's, let's talk about a few more takeaways. Um, one of them is effective leaders keep on investing in themselves. What does that, can you give us an example of that? Because we have brokers in charge, we have realtors who are power brokers. What, what does that mean to them? Sure, so in the novel, it chronicles a variety of exceptional leaders. One of them is Best Buy's CEO, Brad Anderson. So his strengths, as outlined in the book, are ideation, input, and learner. And all of those strengths are very strategic. They're very inward-facing. So he is someone who can just sit around and think all day, and he can get to a, he can come up with an idea but not really be able to expand on how he got there. So what Brad does to invest in his strength is surround himself with people who are going to pull him out. And he surrounds himself with folks who would very vocally challenge his, his thinking and require explanation of his process. Okay, and that, that's a great example because that goes to another big takeaway of the book, which is focus on your teams and make sure that the teams are different from each other. Tell us what that would mean, for instance, for a broker who's constantly interviewing people who maybe want to start in the real estate profession? What should they be looking for to build an effective team? Sure, so in order to be an effective leader, you need to construct your team very carefully. Leaders have to have followers. Um, so when you are looking for team members, you should try to identify people with different strengths. Instead of getting all people that are super good at networking, you should get a couple people that are good at strategic thinking. You should get some people that are good at um, planning long-term in, in terms of what your business model is gonna look like, as opposed to just getting 
folks that will put themselves out there and be that, um, in the language of our strengths assessment, be that woo. You also need ideation, intellectualism, those kinds of things. It's recognizing, for instance, that somebody might be good at woo. Woo is winning over others. That's a, a one that I would say would be great for a real estate professional. But that same person may not be good at organization. So then the follow-through doesn't happen, and then the closing doesn't happen, right? So you, you got to have both of those on your team if you can find them, right? So have a variety. Very good. What do you think our realtors should do with this information? What should they do about strength assessment? Should they have their teams take the test? Should, how can they use this in their daily life? So this test is good for individuals as well as teams. If you're interested in knowing your strengths individually, go ahead and take the test. Um, but I encourage our realtors to go out and when they are building their teams, focus on people that have different strengths. Um, if you want to do a team building activity, it's awesome to take the test together and then you can kind of discuss your strengths from there. Very good. Well, we know that our members have talents. What we want to do is encourage them to look for their talents and make that the signature part of their work. So once again, that book is called Strengths-Based Leadership, Great Leaders, Teams, and Why People Follow by Tom Rath and Barry Conchi. Troy, thanks so much for being here with us today and bringing this book to our knowledge. Sure. Thanks for having me. My name is John Biggs. I'm the Vice President of Risk Management Education and Investors Title Insurance Company here in North Carolina. Today we're going to talk about the biggest, biggest non-regulatory threat to the title and settlement and real estate industry that's hit us in a long time. That is wire fraud. Today we're going to talk about prevention. There are a few things that I want to tell you about that. One is that uh, wire fraud generally happens uh, in a real estate transaction because somebody has compromised an email. Unfortunately, most of these things are really uh, people using free email addresses, uh, which are easier to spoof and easier to hack. And on top of that, our password protections are really bad. Most of us use passwords that are easier to guess. So let's talk about how to, how to stop that. We recommend three steps. And I'm gonna tell you that every piece of wire fraud that affects one of uh, uh, our providers, uh, one of our attorneys, one of our agents, and over 33 states in which investors tile operates comes across my desk. Nine out of 10 of them, or even greater than that, could have been stopped if all three of these steps had been followed. The first is proper identification. And we know that the criminals, the cyber criminals, don't profit by starting a fake transaction in these wire fraud situations. So where do they enter the transaction? After it's already begun. Common sense, right? So proper identification is going back to the beginning of the file, the very first piece of communication you have with somebody in the file, identifying the right parties to talk to, a phone number, email address, et cetera, identify that person and note it going forward. Not simply going back to the most recent email in the email chain, which is what we tend to do and tends to lead to our downfall. You gotta have proper identification, go back to that original correspondence to find out who the true uh, legitimate party is. The second thing is, verbal confirmation. Before a wire is sent, call that person who you properly identified early in a transaction. Recommend that your clients do not wire money to anyone, to anyone, without making a call and talking to 
legitimate person. They call, they verify the wiring instructions on where to send before they do it and using that proper identification. Now, when they call and verify it, we're talking about not doing an email. We have invented the least secure form of communication that man has ever invented. And we have decided as a culture to transmit our most uh, desperate, deepest, darkest secrets through that means of communication. Now, some of those secrets can be damaging and some can't. The wire uh, instructions, the wire instructions certainly can be. So for effective wire fraud prevention, you need to call and verify just as Alexander Graham Bell intended. If that means there's a game of phone tag involved, it means that there's a game of phone tag involved. A third step, so we got proper identification, verbal confirmation. A third step is delivery verification. Now in the old days, when I was in private practice, uh, we'd send a wire, we'd stick the wire uh, confirmation sheet in the file, we move on to the next file. We knew that we had a Fed tracking number, we knew it was going where it needed to go. Things have changed. Now, we certainly recommend this third step where you call and make sure the wire got where it was supposed to go. Make sure that it was properly delivered. Most everybody has online banking now and can check pretty easily. I know the cyber criminals have online banking and can move the money really fast. So call and make sure it got there. When you're talking about payoffs, the attorneys should be double checking the payoffs to make sure that they were received. Now, if you're talking about a large bank that may not have the ability or the desire to, um, to respond to personal calls about the payoffs. Smaller banks, you can probably find somebody. The larger ones, it may require you just simply the next morning to call and verify that the balance on the payoff is now zero. Certainly that would require an additional payoff statement fee to be collected at closing, but that's certainly worth the ability to be able to sleep at night. So we have these three steps, proper identification, verbal confirmation, delivery verification. If those three steps are followed, you'll be able to maneuver and make yourself a harder target to hit, make your clients a harder target to hit, uh, protect your business, your customers, as well as uh, staying clear of any insurance claims that you may have with your cyber fraud insurance. Now, cyber fraud insurance comes in different forms. One is uh, for social engineering, which is where somebody pretends to be a legitimate party and convinces you to do something against your will. The second is there a cyber breach where information is lost. The third is for when money is stolen. Now, information, uh, if a cyber breach, when, when information is lost, you are in a situation where they can use that information to get multiple frauds. Now, I've heard a lot of realtors tell me that they're out of the wire fraud, out of the wire instruction business. They don't send wire instructions to anybody. But that does not mean that you are not capable of having your email spoofed, communicated with your uh, with your client, and they pretend to be you and send them wiring instructions. They're going to pull you into this deal one way or the other because that could happen whether your email is hacked or if your client's email is hacked and they see emails from you. They can gain all sorts of information, information like the date of the closing, the address, the buyer, the seller, the time of the closing, how much money they need. Imagine if they just had one email that include uh, included the settlement statement, how much information they would have in order to sound legitimate. A few protections that you need to do to protect against that happening. One is use encrypted email. Encrypting email is like sticking it in an envelope such that prying eyes cannot see it, because without that, it is nothing but a postcard. However, this postcard can be seen 
not just by the mailman and the people in the mail truck and the, and the uh, post office, but it can be seen by a lot of people that have the digital ability to look at that file. So encrypted email is a must. If you don't have encrypted email, I recommend you get it shortly. The second is strong passwords. Having a password that is complex, and by that definition, the American Land Title Association and NIST has said a complex password is at least eight characters with upper, lower uh, case letters, as well as a number and a special character somewhere mixed in there. It doesn't have to be eight characters. It has to be at least eight characters. It needs to be changed at least every three months. Now, if you're like me, I got enough daggone passwords. Uh, however, if the password's complicated for me to remember, it's even harder for a hacker to guess. The most used password in America right now is password123. And when they started making you put a special character in there, for some reason, everybody believes that the special character needs to be an exclamation point at the end of their password. So password123 exclamation point is now the most popular password in the world. That's not very good. Other people use their birthdays, their cat's name, their dog's name, the year they graduated from high school, all these different things, all of which can be found for free on your Facebook page. So strong passwords change frequently is certainly important. The next thing is to have a uh, multi-factor authentication, wherever that's available. And believe me, it is available uh, at most email clients. Uh, multi-factor means that you are going to have something else other than just a password that is required to access those accounts. And if you don't have it in your online banking, I would strongly recommend you put it there too. There are three things that make up the multi-factor. The first is something you know, i.e. password. Two, something you have, which could be your cell phone or device. They could text you something or the device has been deemed um, to be credible based on prior activity. And then three, something you are which could be a thumbprint, retinal scan, some other biometric. So most cases, we're going to have one and two and not three. But there are uh, some easy devices to be able to use for thumbprint. I'm sure that most of you have them on your cell phone. The next thing is if you're going to use free Wi-Fi, please, please don't use free Wi-Fi unless you protect yourself with a VPN, a virtual private network. Much like email can be seen by other people, uh, internet traffic can be intercepted in this in a very similar way. And a virtual private network, much like putting an email in encryption such that nobody can see it putting it in an envelope, the VPN creates a dedicated portal between your device and the server such that nobody can touch it along the way. Now, it doesn't legitimize the endpoint. If you go to an illegitimate website, that doesn't help. Uh, but getting there, nobody's be able to steal it along the way. So a few things that I want you to do. One is wire, what I require every time. Proper identification, verbal confirmation, delivery verification. The last thing I wanna share with you is education. That's what we're doing today. And I want you to also share education. At our website, imvtitle.com, we have created consumer-facing education as well as attorney-facing education and realtor-facing education to help with this process. On the consumer side, I will tell you that we as a society can make a, a video of a cat dancing go viral. We need to make education for protection on real estate transactions go viral as well. Thank you very much. Have a good day. 
For the rest of Jonathan's presentation and to get access to exclusive NC Realtors content, join the NC Realtors Mobile Mondays Facebook group. Each month, Mobile Mondays brings you live, engaging content delivered by national experts. Join the conversation with Mobile Mondays only on Facebook. Thanks for listening to another episode of NC Realtors Redefined. Be sure to catch all of our episodes by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or SoundCloud.